0: Welcome to the audio-only version of this week's pop-up submission show. I hope you enjoy it. We love you to join us for the live show on YouTube every Sunday at 5pm UK time. youtube.com slash litopia Yeah, I think it's going to be, I really do think it's going to be a monstrously good show today. We've got some great crime fiction for you. All the new rising talent, you find it here first, and some mystery as well. And speaking of mystery, he's back, here's Michael Jacks. He's the master of medieval mystery himself, and he's our special guest. And look, first time, it's Annie from the Colony. You've seen her, you've heard her in the Colony, and now you can see her in real life. Welcome, Annie. Michael, let's catch up with you. It's been a while. It's been a while. How's your lockdown been?
1: Uh, Well, it's the great thing about being a writer is that you can be stuck indoors and it doesn't make an awful lot of difference, really, because it's what you do every day. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's been a strange time for everybody, obviously. It has been.
0: uh, It has been.
1: Have have you got a few books written since we last saw you? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) <laughs> <thought you> <laughs> Since the last saw you, I've had number six in the um, Tudor mystery series. Yeah, I've written *You*, which is set in Shanghai in the 1920s, yeah. which is currently going to publishers. So
0: yeah, it's been fairly busy. Wow, yeah, impressive, impressive output. You've got a book uh, recommendation for us this week. I do. <laughs> which is right here somewhere. He's got books here you go where it is, doesn't he? Oh, there we are. Yep. Yeah, the Old about Age it. of
1: Murder by Martin Edwards. Mm-hmm. It's a brilliant, brilliant book that tells you the history of all of the 1920s, 30s, 40s authors. It's all about the creation of the, de- the Detection Club, which I happen to be the honorary member. Uh, honorary secretary to now
0: oh wow.
1: it's a fascinating book written by a crime writer and he actually explains the life of all of the crime writers involved dorothy l sayers agatha christie gk chesterton all the others and he explains their life stories in the same way that you would expect a crime writer to write That is fascinating. Just brilliant. It really is fascinating. Yeah.
0: I'm absolutely going to read that because I I don't know what's happened to me really past the weeks. All I've been doing is reading Agatha Christie and one does wonder about uh, Agatha Christie. Um, I'd like to talk to you more about that, but we can't, we can't. There's going to be a jam-packed show, I can tell you. It's Annie. Hello, Annie.
2: Hello,
0: I I guess we should ask you how your lockdown has been so far.
2: It's been alright. I mean, I think since last year it's kind of loosened down a lot. So we're yeah. we're not allowed out of certain province yeah. areas. But other than that. Well, I can okay. I can I was
0: gonna say I can tell from your accent that you are definitely in Spain.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's how we that's how we learn English over here. A,
0: really? yeah. <laughs> a lot of very confused bandits walking around, I'm sure. You got a book recommendation for us this week.
2: I do. I've got the end of everything by Katie Mack.
3: Ooh.
2: It's uh it's non fiction and it's very interesting. It's about the five different um possible ends of the universe. Gosh. So, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like it's a ah. bit, it sounds a bit hard, but it's like written in a very funny way. So it's very accessible.
0: How, how appropriate for sort of um, for the times that we're living in at the moment, eh? Yeah. <laughs> I know.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. But
2: it's, it's, quite, it's quite interesting. I mean, you, you feel tiny bit smarter when you read it.
0: Well, that's what we want. There we go. Yeah.
2: Uh, very interesting,
0: actually. Two nonfiction <laughs> books don't often get that. Two nonfiction book recommend- recommendations by two people who are absolutely. Solid Gold is going to be the best guests we've had so far. Shall we have our first submission and then um, talk to our guests a little bit more? This is called Fatal Trade. It's from Brian. And I did tell you there's going to be a lot of crime, um, a lot of uh, police and mystery and stuff on, on the show today, which is great because we've got Michael on. It's a police procedural. And yes, you've got one of those QR codes there. So scan that and you'll go to whichever Recondite corner of the internet. Brian wants you to go to. Let me read Brian's blurb. When George Wilkins' head is left on his ex-wife's doorstep, hmm, DC Malcotton and her colleagues uncover a crime ring involving drugs, illegal imports and murder. Why was the head left there? Why are criminals turning up tortured and dead in an ordinary English town? where is the ruthless gang getting most of his money and why is a former sex worker now part of a gang led by the man who once trafficked her mel must answer these questions before the gang kills anyone else including her let me tell you about brian um brian's the author of crime writing how to write the science a well-received guide for authors on the scientific aspects of crime I wonder if Michael has come across that. He might have done. Um, I run a website offering tips on such topics, which is Crime Writers Science Co UK. Uh, and have advised a number of leading authors including Mike Craven, Peter James and Lee Russell. I'm a member of the CWA, have contributed several pieces to Red Herrings, also a member of a local writing group and active on Twitter and Facebook in recent years. I've completed a short open university course in creative writing, have attended several times the Harrogate and Crime Fest. First of all, you know, I bet your path has crossed with with our Michael, I bet it has. Um, more about that in a moment, though. Let's get a first-class reading, shall we, from Emily. The
4: first page. Fatal Trade by Brian, read by Emily. Chapter One. The small, grey-haired woman grimaced as she entered the police station, pulling a tartan shopping trolley containing her husband's head. What are you useless buggers going to do about this? She demanded, reaching into the trolley and heaving a cardboard box onto the counter. Good morning, madam, replied Dana, the young civilian support officer, looking askance at the strange woman and her parcel. How can I help? I told the copper in the police car about it. He just laughed and said I was imagining it. Just because I look old doesn't mean I'm mad. I'm sure it doesn't, soothed Dana, although her expression didn't quite match her words. May I take your name? And what have you got in there? Take a look for yourself, then maybe someone will believe me. Dana reached for the box and started to open it, looking increasingly uneasy. An odd smell pervaded the reception area and there was a suspicious brown stain along the bottom edges. As soon as Dana lifted the lid the smell grew worse. She glanced inside, all colour drained from her face, her legs gave way and she threw up spectacularly over her computer keyboard. Sarge, she screamed, fumbling with the keypad on the door behind her. There's a head in this box! Three uniformed officers rushed into the reception area and were greeted with a belligerent stare from the visitor, whose folded arms and tapping foot signalled her impatience with the proceedings. Dana dashed to the toilet where she spent the next hour, comforted by a fellow civilian. P.C. Hartley peered into the box and paled. It is a head, Sarge. A bloke's head. Sergeant Robertson confirmed the fact, locked the door to the police station and phoned the duty detective inspector. There's an old lady in reception with a head in a box, ma'am. Can you come down? On my way, replied D.I. Fiona Gale. While the officers waited for the inspector, a female constable checked on Dana. P.C. Hartley took the woman gently by the arm, leading her to an interview room. Come along, dear. Someone will get you a cup of tea. That'll be nice, won't it? I'll have the tea, but don't be so bloody patronising. Not senile. That's my husband's head and I want to know what it was doing on my doorstep. Gail arranged for the box and its contents to be taken somewhere safe and cool while Hartley removed the vomit-coated keyboard and swabbed down the reception counter with disinfectant, an expression of disgust on his face. Looks like we'll need a new receptionist. That one's lost it. Gail was on the verge of reproving him for his lack of sympathy when her phone rang. Yes, sir. A human head in a box, brought in by a woman. D.C. Cotton is speaking to her now. It all seems to be under control, but the civilian receptionist is traumatised. we Will do. Gail turned to Hartley. The chief superintendent is on his way down. Find a new keyboard and make sure the place is tidy and open for business by the time he gets here. And you can stay on reception for the time being. Yes, ma'am. DC Mel Cotton, trim and fit-looking with a pleasant smile, entered the interview room, bearing tea and biscuits. The room was pleasantly furnished, in contrast to the rooms where suspects were interviewed, and used for talking to vulnerable witnesses, children and people traumatised for one reason or another. Nevertheless, it was still fitted with a discreet alarm strip and unobtrusive video recording equipment. Its occupant was pacing up and down, her wiry frame restless and her expression one of annoyance. Hello, I'm Detective Constable Melanie Cotton. Please sit down. Can I have your name and address, please? Ellen Wilkins, Mrs, and I live in Ground Floor Flat, Anstruther Building's Tiptree Road, Mexton. Okay, Mrs Wilkins, I'm going to have to caution you and record this interview. Don't worry, you're not under arrest.' I should think not. I didn't put it there. Mel recited the caution, switched on the recording equipment and settled back in her seat.
0: And I think it would be cruel and, and unusual if we didn't come to Michael first.
4: Michael, for a start, <laughs>
0: did, have you have you come across Brian Price and his book Crime Writing, How to Write the Science? No. Oh. Right, fair enough. <laughs> I just hope.
1: <laughs> uh, no, I, I'm a member of the CWA as well, but there are a lot of members of the CWA. Um, really intriguing, very, very good opening. I felt yeah. uh, I was. Um, I always have this feeling that, especially with an opening, you're better not having people replied to or people responding mm. to, and more mm. have dead because it just makes things a bit snappier and faster. Um, but basically, I'd say that was a damn good opening. It's the sort of yeah. thing that would make me, as a crime reader, want to carry on.
0: Yeah, good. Excellent. Well, that's that's very encouraging. Um, while we're on a roll with you, give us a number, if you remember. One is not that good at all. Five is amazing. And you can choose any any uh, single digit in between those, but no decimal Let points,
1: me go please. with a four. I'd want to read on Ooh. and find yeah. out...
0: Brian, that's a good start from your fellow CWA operative. Yeah. Annie, what kind of impression did that make on you?
2: Um, I also liked it quite a lot. I thought the, um, well, the blurb is very interesting because it's got this sort of, small town or like very typical town that was in the blurb with all of this um with like the crime gang and everything Hmm. um and but then the i thought the opening well the the actual writing didn't quite like my expectations weren't quite what i was expecting but i really liked it anyway and i thought the first line was really good yeah there was only one thing yeah that first line was was um but I've forgotten it already, but, but the the head in the head in the box was really funny. It reminded me of the I can't remember what film that is, but there's a film that ends with something in the box. Someone's head is in a box or something.
0: It's Yeah. Um, no, mm-hmm. <laughs> but um
2: there's only one thing that I mm. I wrote down, which was um when the when they're going to start the interview and it says pleasantly furnished I think that that's probably a wee chance that you'd be able to just see, just show what the furniture is like instead of just saying pleasantly furnished. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah. aside from that, I think it's a it's a really good setup, and I would read on.
0: Okay, and a number from you then.
2: Um, I'll also go for it. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, um, I think the uh, prevailing mood is quite good on this, actually, Brian. I'm going to be um, a little bit of a damp squib. Sorry, but you know, I'm a commercial agent got to make some money um, So first thing title, um, I don't think it's the best title in the world I, it, I, You can tell I'm of a certain age because it reminds me of a, a terrific book actually some years ago now, called Fatal Shore um, And it's nothing to do with Fatal Shore. Fatal Shore was Robert Hughes's book about the colonization of Australia um and transportation and all the rest of that it's very good book robert hughes was the art critic for time magazine dead now i think um so it's a bit close to that in my mind and also i think i think in any case it just it could make more impact so i'm not not a huge fan of the title um, I think the concept is great. It's a terrific um, uh, start, head in a box. Yeah, what's not to like about that? I need more visceral quality because you've got real humour there. You've got a very nice interplay going on, potentially, between the, um, the, you know, the, the, the gas, you know, the vomit and the dried blood and the, the stuff seeping out the bottom. That's great. Um, so you've got all that and you've got, you've got some lightness for humour as well. But I think, I think I need a bit more visceral from the head itself i don't know what a head in a box looks like especially if it's been there for twenty four hours or 30, 72 hours or something like that what happens to it you know is that that unflinching quality of detail that's going to really i think make a very nice counterpoint between um... that and the humor and i don't totally believe in your your character that's my, hus- my husband's head in the box the police lady is much more shocked than she is so um, I'm not totally sure either from um, the first few pages. We, we've got several police people being introduced, but I'm not really sure who our protagonist is. I'm not sure who's had to get into for those reasons. However, I, I do think it's a great concept. I'm going to go slightly lower and go for a three. Let's see what the score is looking like, shall we? I'm the only dissenting voice, and who knows, I could easily be wrong and who knows i probably am but there we go now what we uh, what we've got to do now is catch up on what happened last Make week
3: priority
5: submission at and
0: if you remember it was a an amazing whoop Try it again. If you remember, it was an amazingly good show. Um, Imago, a science fiction political thriller by Martin. We love the title, all of us, I think. Some of us found the text a little too experimental. Got 35. 35% on the show vote. 28.33. We've got an amazing uh, degree of decimalization going on there from, from you in the six and a half days since then. One who protects. A kind of sword and sorcery adventure by Matt. We gave it a 45. You said... 40 so still tracking quite close uh the far side of darkness now it wasn't a comic strip by gary larson but actually a mystery by robert ford we liked it a lot we gave it 60 and you agreed pretty close So said no, I'm, I'm gonna call that a 57 actually uh second lives by alex got a, a major 70 percent on the show um you were just very slightly less generous with 64. Which, by process of elimination, of course, means that Jamie's long train home, a story about a major league ball player who won't get on a plane. Do you remember that? I think he will. It got a whacking great 80% on the show, and you gave it 72%, meaning... That's right. Congratulations, Jamie. Well-deserved. Well-deserved indeed, yeah. Now then, let's go straight on to our second book today thank you very much Brian very nice to have you along it's great to have comments from our authors as we review your manuscripts you review us what could be fairer than that this is from Kelly it's the numbers and the genre is simply literary which could cover a lot of things I'm not wild about that genre if it is indeed a genre because it it says to a lot of agents I'm afraid it's not going to sell huge numbers so maybe come up with a different genre, eh? Dr. Rob Whitlaw is convinced that everything there is to know about the world is in the numbers. Whitlaw believes his research on population dynamics is as important as Charles Darwin's. During the day, he runs his lab and at night he uses mathematical models to play online poker and to predict where crimes will occur. But when Whitlaw has to help a young man shot at the scene of a crime, he predicted he's drawn into a world he's only observed from the edges. The numbers no longer add up. Nice. Thank you. Um... (laughs) Let me tell you about Kelly. I have a BSc and PhD in ecology, says Kelly. I've worked in restaurants as a server and cook, played guitar in a pop punk band, think Weezer. I'm thinking Weezer, can I stop? Um, Provided data analytics for professional hockey teams and taught statistics at a Canadian university. Fantastic background. I published several short stories online, including in Unoya Review. That's terrific, Kelly. And we have a terrific narrator from our, our, our stable of narrators. It is Kate.
5: The, the Numbers by Jeff, read by Kate. Chapter 1. There was a 15.4% chance that the store would get robbed tonight. The guy was big, maybe 6'3 and well over 200 pounds. He wore a black watchman's cap pulled down low almost to his eyebrows. He stood on the sidewalk, staring into the convenience store. One hand, his left, was buried in the pocket of a shapeless army surplus jacket and the other hung at his side, clenching and unclenching. This was it. He did a quick shoulder check, then was up the three stairs into the store. A bell must have rung because the clerk looked towards the door and his eyes followed as the man turned left down the first aisle and out of Rob's line of sight. The clerk's eyes tracked him as he moved around the store. The clerk moved over to the phone on the other side of the cash register and he had edged the phone off the cradle when the guy stepped up to the counter, the gun already in his hand. He tilted the gun towards the clerk's hand on the telephone and the clerk let the receiver slide back into place. Something pulled Rob's eye back out to the street. Jesus Christ, where had this one come from? the kid standing almost under the street lamp in the shallows of the throne light he was medium height and thin with a mass of unruly dark hair curling almost to his shoulders and he looked through the storefront window frozen in that soft spot where you see but don't understand rob looked back to the store The gunman was gesturing at the cash register the clerk was fumbling trying to get it open but it was taking some time and when Rob looked back the moment had passed and the kid was walking up the steps into the store both men at the cash register looked over when the young man came through the door and the gunman stepped back and swung the pistol towards him and then back at the clerk the kid kept coming striding but not running, as if he had something to do and he wanted to get it done, but it wasn't urgent and nobody needed to panic. Just let him get what he was after and he would be gone. It almost worked, but when he was within a step or two of the gun, the guy pulled the trigger and it must have taken the kid high on the right side because it spun him to the right and off balance. Rob heard it as a thin tap, no louder than cracking ice. For a second it looked like the young man would catch himself but he was too far back on his right heel so his left leg slid straight out in front of him and he tipped over. Rob couldn't see him now because he was down. The clerk and the shooter stared at the floor and then the guy with the gun went for the door. Once outside he turned right once and then again at the next street and was gone. The kid was back on his feet and moving towards the door. He wasn't steady, but he was moving. He pushed the door open with his left side, his left hand pressed against his right shoulder, but not doing much to stop the dark stain spreading across his shirt. He tipped down the stairs, almost falling, but catching his balance at the bottom, then looked both ways, up and down the street, maybe looking for the shooter or, more likely, for help. It was time to go. Rob straightened and reached for the ignition and the motion caught the kid's attention. He staggered across the street and stood swaying in front of the car door, looking down through the driver's side window. It was a warm night, but Rob kept the window up. The kid made a circular motion with his head, roll down the window. Rob hit the button and the window slid open. The injured man was moon white, almost glowing and a drop of sweat beaded off his chin. And fell onto his Jean jacket. I need a hand here, buddy. A lift over to Saint Vincent's.
0: Okay, so a certain amount of confusion. I think it's fair to say in the genius room there. Uh, Martin says I can see what the author's trying to do by starting the dramatic action, but I'm having trouble engaging emotionally with anyone's plight. Yeah, um. Hannah, Hannah agrees with that. There's no emotion in this; just description. But Yannis has some nice writing. Where do you stand on that then? Uh, that's
2: Annie. Um, uh, I think the the, the blurb was it was interesting. Like the the whole number thing, I found quite yeah. interesting. It's not. Yeah. I think it's been done before, but maybe I want,
0: when- it. feels familiar, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah, I,
2: I feel like I read something ages ago with numbers, but but it's still quite an interesting thing to see. But then when it actually started, it was, I don't know, a bit flat. I think starting with description is already putting one barrier there, so you're not being pulled mm-hmm. in because that's you're starting with description. And then yeah. the main character is basically on the sidelines the entire time he's just watching what's happening. And the only interesting bit that, like, I thought that's interesting. It was the very first line when it was about the um, mm. how how um, like the percentage of a crime happening, but
6: yeah. then the rest
2: of it. Not only is it kind of on the sidelines, but it's also a scene that we're familiar with already. Like I think yeah. it's been overdone a little,
3: but
0: yeah, the was... rating is okay. All right, fair enough. Give us a number.
2: Uh.
0: Well, I'll, I'll go at to i I'm sorry. It's all right. It's all right. I was wondering if you were going to. Good. Uh, but does Michael agree?
1: Yes, I think I do. Uh, I, um, I was thinking about it. Yes, as people said on the notice board, there's a lack of emotion to it um mm. it's basically just a list of this happened this happened this happened i put much too much right and left so he's shot on the right shoulder so he reaches with the left hand or he shoves himself out with his left it, it was just too
0: much it's <laughs> um, easy yeah. easy to get into that sort of um trap though isn't it you think you've got to be it's just very trying specific to be too yeah yeah I mean, mm. personally
1: I'm a, I'm a trained mathematician i was um uh. by training at university and uh, i i like the premise and i like the concept but it didn't grip me yeah and i i think almost what the author should do kelly should do is change it slightly and instead of having it from the perspective of rob looking in she ought to have it from the perspective of the storekeeper or the guy who was shot mm-hmm. or Someone else who's actually in the action rather than someone just observing it. Yeah. Um, so it's yeah. a good start point, but I think there's a fair bit more work to do with that. So I entirely agree. I'll go for a two, I think.
0: All right, you're going to go two as well. Um, it's, I, I was just wondering about... I mean, there are two ways you could, you could go with this, maybe. One would be to just make that first scene as powerful as you can and as you know visceral as you can word i'm using a lot today but it's crime why not um the other one would be maybe to explore the basic conceit and there's only one line there actually of maths and i think it might have been interesting to get more deeply into maths straight away to sell that would, what what do you think
1: Possibly, but it would mm. take a fair bit of um, careful writing to make maths interesting. Is the problem?
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, obviously you'd be interested, but uh, I yes, would. The, yeah, the ordinary reader. Okay. But, yeah.
1: What would you do? He was shot in the upper left shoulder. Well, what were the yeah. odds of that?
0: What are the odds of that? Yes. <laughs> it's,
1: it's, it's trying to bring the maths into it. It's really difficult, this sort of thing. I, I think you'd be better off going for the emotional aspect, trying to make sure that um, yeah. it grips the reader because of the way that things are hit.
0: Uh-huh. We have a very... <laughs> thoughtful comment there if only if you can see those comments there michael but from Lex, overall he says i have to agree with the consensus mathematics is the language with which god has written the universe that's aristotle you can make a hell of a yeah. story out of the idea of someone who can interpret the language but we just get dropped into there was a big guy and then stuff happened got to give the reader something to connect to in order to reach that fascinating premise don't stop yeah. singing change your song. nicely put all right mm-hmm. me too oh, and let's see what the chat room's done. I bet they've given it a two as well, have they? They have. They have. And that means... Yeah, it's a 40. Not too bad, Kelly, but it's not quite there yet. Uh, should we see if we can get one more in before we speak to, speak to Michael? Percocet Blues. Crime again. I love it when that happens. Got Michael on the show got Lots of Crime. It's from Elliot, and this is Elliot's blurb. Rich Delaney is 20 years past his last local hit, and now plays the 15 or 20 Ageing Boomers every Wednesday night at the Shepherd's Crook. Most Wednesdays, he pisses somebody off, but this time he earns a beating. When he wakes up in the alley next to the Crook, he's lying beside the dead body of a Latino boy. He reports the body to the police, but it's disappeared by the time they show up. The cops refuse to believe him, and Rich gets angry. His question led lead should be in it. his question leads to the next governor of texas now i'm not sure about that last <laughs> sentence i was with you all the way until that his question leads to the next his questions his questions yes i've got it eureka his questions lead to the next governor of texas i think i'm there i think i'm there uh let me tell you about um elliot i've been a server a messenger worked on greasy spoon and taught university ecology None of them have grabbed me like getting a character right. I've been published in several online literary magazines, including Yellow Mama. Hardcore stuff, Elliot. The least we can do, I think, is give you a reading,
3: okay? The first page. Percocet Blues by Elliot Patrick, read by Kay. Back the fuck off. He said it quietly, without looking as he brushed past. She pulled away to avoid the head of the acoustic strapped across Rich Delaney's back, but the strings stung her face. Asshole. He took another step, pushing through the straggle of people in the dim hallway leading back to the dressing rooms, and then stopped. He looked down at his boots, his face shaded by the broad-brimmed Stetson tipped low on his forehead, grey curls tumbling out the sides and back over his narrow shoulders, staring down for a long time before he spun back. She had already turned away, and he grabbed her shoulder and pulled her around. I might have signed your fucking napkin if I hadn't been so sure you were a spitter. She started to answer, but he cut her off. Yeah, that's right. Your face scrunching up like you had bit down on a bad grape, having to listen to the half gag and tack to make sure nothing got by, making me feel like I'd been less than a gentleman for not giving fair warning. That I wasn't the man you'd thought I was. That the songs were so much better than the sour man that wrote them? She slapped him hard, his head rocking back like a tree in a high wind. Rich raised his own hand and started to bring it down, but the big man who'd come up behind him grabbed his arm and stopped the forward motion so suddenly that Rich felt something give. He looked back over his shoulder, saw the long, sloping forehead and the narrow eyes beneath the scarred brow, and knew it was going to be bad they always had brothers or boyfriends. The alley faced east, the promise of the sun curved into the sky, a looping ephus pitch piercing the centre mass, true to the mean, as smooth as the law of large numbers would allow, a Gaussian hint of the glare and heat to come. Grenadine-tinted golden orange, pulped over ripe peach, it was too rich, and he closed his eyes again. Something sharp and hard burrowed into his shoulder and he twisted away and winced at the movement. There had been three of them, although any one of them would have been enough. Each as big as a fucking tackle truck with the shelf brow that came from puzzling over the USA Today sports section. Two of them held his arms, not realising that there was no need. He knew the drill. With any luck, the first shot put you out and you didn't feel the rest until you woke up. She'd stood behind the puncher. And just before he'd let it go, she had turned her head to the side and hawked, smooth and lean so that the gob came out in a hard line, and he heard it splat, clean and flat, against the brick. Then the guy's fist had filled his eyes like a high, hard one that you don't have time to duck, and he had willed himself not to flinch. The guy hadn't set himself, and Rich had worried that there wouldn't be enough on it, but there was. He raised his hand towards his face, but the pain of the movement made him gasp and stop. They must have put the boots to him once he was down. Any movement sent shivers of pain along his body. He shifted his legs. They were all right, they hadn't been stomped. He moved his hand again, but slower, and got it to his face this time. It felt thick and misshapen. An oversized potato pulled from the ground, still clotted with dirt and stone, and there were several places where the skin had split under boot or fist. A gash under his right eye was going to need stitches. He could feel where the flesh pushed out from beneath the skin like a split plum. And his right ear was torn so that the helix and scapha draped down a sodden flag on a still day. The ear would need some work.
0: Thank you very much, Elliot. Before we... um. I think it's going to be Michael's opinion. Can I remind you, please, we're kind of halfway through the show, please do like us and please do subscribe to us on the YouTube channel, what you're watching right now. Um, And that helps us a lot, actually. Yeah, we have had a few F-bombs. That's probably going to demote us in the algorithm, but you can help us rise up again and like phoenix-like through the the mess of the YouTube algorithm that it is. Um, Michael... I think the chat room is pretty positive about that. Are you?
1: I certainly am, yes. It um, struck me as interesting when I was listening to the numbers and I kept coming back to the idea that...
0: That's uh, that's Michael's Rhodesian Ridgeback uh, indicating that it's... No, she's
1: asleep. How dare you insult me. But um, the numbers... (laughs) How do you describe yourself as literary? I mean, at the end of the day, if you're writing, you are literary, but it's not yeah, a yeah. particular genre. But then, oversized potatoes still clotted. I like a spit, split plum. thought, this is really good writing. Yeah. <laughs> I was very
0: impressed. Yeah. Um,
1: protagonist, a lot of people were saying that, oh, they didn't like the um, writer, uh, the protagonist particularly, because he seemed a bit uh, um, not... Not the sort of chap you'd want to meet yourself, which is understandable, no. but yeah. this is the first page or two of a book. You're going to learn whether you like him or not in the next few pages, not immediately up front. Yeah. I, I thought that was really good, actually. I was very interested. Like the stand, the uh, beginning of it. I'd definitely go for a four with that. I'd want to hear a lot more about it. Fantastic.
0: Praise indeed from Michael there. Um, i'm going to add a line to the one you picked up there and I, the one i wrote down actually i don't often do this was um with the shelf brow that comes from puzzling over the us today usa yeah. today sports section well, ages, I, love yeah. <laughs> I love that i love that i can see that I, for me yeah. that's up there with raymond chandler that sort of phrase yeah. um the rest of it isn't quite but um definitely flashes of brilliance there what did you think annie
2: I thought the the writing was really good, um, because people are like like um, Michael was saying the the character might be very unlikable as a as a person, but you care for him immediately, like right from the beginning. I I I was rooting for this person even though he was clearly very awful. I was actually getting some um, that that show what's it called, Bojack Horseman of um Mm. it was the guy that was like a pop star or no he was in a sitcom or something but similar idea where it's like several um, like a couple of decades later and um Mm. so I think it's it's an interesting concept Mm. um and the writing's good so I'm I'm all for it
0: alright and the number would be
2: um I'll go four
0: four as well it's looking good for you Elliot um what does Lex... What's Lex said? Uh, unlikable protagonists. People have been talking about that quite a lot in the, in the chat room just now. Um, it, it can Premise can work very well, says Lex, before Mel Gibson's fall from grace. He had a film called Payback. I don't remember that. Which was entirely oh. built on that premise. And then, of course, Gibson became even more unlikable. And <laughs> Nobody likes him now. <laughs> Do they? Like the title, even though I don't know what "perkis" that means. Johnny went three. Let's see what the numbers look like from the chat room. I went four on that, so I think that's probably going to be the same. I'm guessing as "fatal trade." Is it? Is it not? I don't know. Yes, there we go. It is. We've got two equal first at the moment very nice I'll tell you what let's see what's going on with Michael there we are Michael's website hasn't changed since 1986 year dot yeah yeah that's <laughs> a medieval website there Michael it is Isn't it? yes very exactly <laughs> so am I. exactly oh, um, you're so prolific I mean it's just extraordinary what two books in the last six months so what's the average about three a year
1: no, it's two a year is my normal routine but um, not
0: bad going, depends it depends what's
1: going on I, I try to get one that's a fairly serious book and then one that's a bit more laid back and humorous, so Death okay. Comes Hot the latest in the Blackjack series that's uh-huh. a much more humorous take on crime it's not not at all serious but um, I've just basically got the a guy who is a pickpocket in Tudor, London hmm. and he's ticked quite happily in his early 20s but then he's um unfortunately discovered by one of his elizabeth princess elizabeth's in those days henchmen who decides that he's a really good potential assassin and so he's hired as an assassin and he's given lots of money and He's apparently very attractive to girls as a result. and
0: Don't, don't tell us the whole story. Bit? No one's going to buy it if, if you tell us the uh, whole story. You've got to le- no, you leave us wanting something, yeah?
1: This the first part of a series, don't okay. you worry. Oh. But the sad fact is he's terrified of the sight of blood, doesn't like killing people, and so every book is pretty much about an assassin who doesn't want to commit to his job. Sounds <laughs> quite
0: Pratchett-like to but me. I like the idea. What's it's this? what's this
1: we're looking at ah this is the prequel to my main series um, i wrote the last templar mystery series was the last templar was my first book ever which i wrote in 94 wow and um this is number 32 in the series but it's a prequel explaining how he got there in effect so it's it's pretty much a coming of age story about a knight in 1291 32
0: 32 (laughs) 32 Wow! (laughs) As I understand it,
1: it's the longest running crime series by a living author. I can believe it. I've been told that and I haven't wanted to check in case it's wrong.
0: (laughs) Exactly. No, well. (laughs) We're just whispering. Someone someone (laughs) else is probably listening, even though. That Michael Jacks. I've written 33. Doesn't matter. It well, doesn't matter if there is
1: one it's either simon brit or quentin jardine <laughs>
0: yeah yeah well they haven't been on the show we we don't care about them at all um let's yeah. have a look at, at this other, you got books. you got this other website you've been a dark horse aren't you got this other website yes. here what's going on with this this is very interesting rightly which rings yeah well it's just a
1: it's a blog post and it's good i just review different books that i've read recently which uh, oh. I like. It has been fairly quiet for the last few months because of going to New Zealand, because my brother yeah. died. Yeah, um. But I'm just starting to get back into it. In fact, I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven books
0: here on my desk immediately to hand, which I'll have to review. That's terrific, actually. I mean, the output, your output in any case is pretty good, an average of two, maybe mm. sometimes three a year. Um, and in the in between times, for hardcore Michael Jacks fans, and there must be a lot of them, they can then mm. they can go to that website, can't they? And they can Absolutely. So, well, Mike, Michael thinks that's good, so I'll probably buy that
1: it's also good for me because at the beginning of a week, when you sit down in front of a blank screen, yeah, you need to have some reason to get yourself motivated and up yeah. and running. And yeah. A 500-word, five 1,000-word review of a book is a good yeah. way of getting you back into it.
0: Yeah, very nice, yeah. Just go back to your productivity. So I, I guess the average in Latapia would be... Measured in terms of years, because people are often in the type you're just doing their first manuscript or moving on from that, but it's quite common for people to take two years or more. What's your secret?
1: Oh, bankruptcy. I look at the bank balance and well. realize I <laughs> need to earn some money. Yeah, if, if it's motivation, writer, it's isn't the it? A, a good friend of mine, Professor Nick Groom from Exeter University, um, once said to me when we were having a chat that um, he was constantly astonished by how when he met literary writers in London invariably they all had private incomes
0: Yeah, and it's that, getting that more true. and more the that case. Is it
1: is very yeah. very difficult yeah. to make a living as a writer yeah. that is. and yeah. my first job I believe when I meet aspiring writers is to try mm. to put them off it yeah. <laughs> if they've yeah. got a good job which yeah. is paying them a reasonable salary per month? Then, for yeah. goodness' sake, write in your spare time and keep that job going, because yeah. making money as a writer is damn difficult now. It really it is.
0: is. Uh, publishers, please note: uh, writers do need money, and they need nice, nice advances to to live off. Um, Steve asks oh, you. Uh, <laughs> I
1: remember. Advances. Is that a word that
0: you're not familiar with, Michael? <laughs> I don't think anyone is much nowadays. <laughs> Steve. Steve uh, wants to know how many hours. Uh, a day? Do you write?
1: Oh, um, if I'm in the middle of a book, then it's absolutely absorbing. So I'll start at about nine o'clock, and I might finish at eleven or twelve o'clock at night. Wow. I'll take an hour off at lunchtime and wow. supper time, but basically, wow. it's working through. Yeah.
0: Because
1: and if do you? If you've, got, you've got the ideas here. If you've got the inspiration, you cannot stop writing. You have to get it down yeah. on the page, or you lose it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And do you? Well, I mean, let me just say, I know a lot of writers, I don't know, maybe half, 50%. I thought you might know a few. I do. I know, <laughs> I do. Occupational hazard. Oh, writer? Oh, <laughs> oh. surrounded by writers. I help! <laughs> um, but I, I know a lot of them who, on average, say, take about three months to write the first, first draft of the manuscript, and then take the rest of the year or more, uh, doing <gasps> revisions. Um, mm. Does that... I mean, presumably, you can't work like that, can you?
1: i i will tend to take two months to write the book and then i'll give myself another month month and a half to edit extensively right. and then it'll go to the editor and it'll sink or swim on that basis and then i've got to get on with the next one
0: right um, yeah so you've you've got a production not, line going there really
1: yes but the trouble is i've got so many flaming ideas up here and i
0: yeah.
1: need to get them down on paper before i lose yeah. them
0: yeah
1: um and i mean basically if you write a book takes about three months spend a month doing the edits then it'll come back from the editor and you've got the editor's comments to deal with you've got the copy editor's comments you've got the proofs to check you're talking about five and a half six months in the sort of yeah. process
0: yeah absolutely so, kate well, kate's got a question lots of questions for you hip you know, uh, giladriel says your hip flexors must be must be tight are they <laughs> no we've never asked to guess this before your hip flexors oh, how tight are they show us hip flexors what <laughs> yeah I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave that with you galadriel uh, Cal- uh, kate says i don't says, even know what that means <laughs> well I, I, i'd like to see in a weird kind of way um my uh, kate says is michael wearing a bandage around his wrist because of yes. tendinitis rsi from all the typing
1: no this huh. is because of living in dartmoor um i've been helping my wife clear out one little area of garden which has a lot of Um, soil in it that we had to clear it was a a children's play area the kids are now too old to have a play area so we're clearing it out so we've got a nice place to sit and when thrusting my shovel deep into this soil I found a very large lump of granite and it's given me some sort of compression
0: I didn't expect that on (laughs) Dartmoor I suppose (laughs) last thing you expect really isn't it
1: no, is it? I wasn't expecting a lump of granite that. So this was a serious, <laughs> serious
0: piece sorry, of So I'm granite. so sorry. The chat room is being quite scurrilous at the moment. uh Johnny says uh, Morris dancing injury, bashed with a stick. Yeah, I do wonder about that. Uh, it's Galadriel no, it's, uh, b- 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 wants, wants to know about your piriformis. If you, yes. If you can see that injury, it can yes. that yes. was opening
1: the bloody dog food tins last week but mm. uh, it was a one inch long scar i'm first. amazed you get it's...
0: tins actually I, I, th- I thought you sort of buy a whole sort of herds or something for the animal anyway <laughs> I, I mean they're, they're just saying the most most scarlet things Steve. <laughs> yes vagabond says Galadriel is a saucy minx this week certainly is absolutely um <laughs> isn't michael good value uh, what do you want us to go out and buy at the moment is it, is it this one
1: yeah that would be ideal it's the first in an extensive series and right. it's a blood book in its own right it's coming of age for a knight in a, one of the major um, sieges of the crusader period and it was the last major battle that the knights templar were involved in and it's oh, yeah. because of that collapse that the knights templar were then
0: destroyed that's a wonderful so comment it's from a good period Kate, fascinating bunch of characters I how do you let, let me just ask you it seems a little bit sort of um um sealed off really uh made it medieval murder mysteries what's the um what's the gateway drug if someone's kind of interested but they would never really read any of your stuff before and they're thinking i'm not sure i'm going to get on with medieval what what would you well, suggest them to get in to read first
1: I'd go with that, probably, because okay. um, it's a fairly, it's not a particularly strong crime story as such, it's much more a character study of oh. how people were in those days, their religious beliefs, their, um, it, it, it goes through every aspect of life. I mean, basically, my books do not go through um, thinking about how a king was worried about his wife's behaviour or anything like that I okay. tend to be much more interested in the ordinary person on the street yeah. and how they yeah. lived um, and yeah. that, that was a good introduction to it I'd
0: say Martin he says, says it's, it's like an episode of Casualty here it is today Lex thinks possibly you discovered it a monolith um, I, I would say been. it's
1: much more like Kingdom of Heaven if people have seen that Okay, because it's all okay. based around a siege it's based yeah. around the
0: period yeah. Um. Fine. All right. Well, thank you so much, uh, Michael. Um, we've got we've got a little more. We've got a little more work for you to do. And then you you can even go back and dash off two more books before uh, before the pods open. This is our first submission of the day. It's from K. A. Johnson. It's literary fiction. That L word again. is Heaven's Back Door. Let me read the blurb for you. Eve, little sis Legrand, has just turned 20 when she arrives in Harlem in the spring of 1930. In the first week, she meets Nadine Nuge Holloway under a barroom table as they wait for the sound of gunshots and the smell of burnt cordite to settle. Nuge and Eve escape through a back door on Eve's first step onto 133rd Street, leads her into the violent world of numbers running and drug turf wars. Even Nuge share a musical gift and together they will pave a pathway for soul and R&B. Let me tell you about KA. I grew up in and around Toronto, Canada and worked as a server, a messenger, cooking in a diner and playing bass in a power pop band. A lot of that around tonight. Uh, When I read about Gishi and Elvie, two forgotten blues singers, in the New York Times, it gutted me to imagine having that kind of towering talent and not being able to use it because you're black, or a woman, or disfigured. Tugged at me for months and ended up being a story I couldn't duck. Fantastic. What you need is a powerful reading from Robert.
7: The first page. Heaven's Back Door by K.A. Johnson. Read by Robert. Spring 1930. Chapter 1. I met Nuge just after the shooting started. For a moment I forgot where I was, huddled under a three-legged table on a loose plank floor, the hard pack exposed in spots where a rough pine had been broken and kicked loose. The echo of the last of the three shots still settling like blown dust. The smell of cordite, faint but acrid, sent trailing sound like the last float in a short parade. The lips on mine were soft but insistent, A mix of question and answer, Unlike the coarse need of the few men I had known, This strange, wild girl testing with the tip of her tongue, Tracing a slow line along my upper lip, Then pulling back before drawing my lower lip forward, suck and tooth, and I felt something loosen below my waist and jerked back, like I had been slapped. What are you doing? Nuge grinned, her eyes sleepy and heavy-lidded. What it feel like I'm doing, girl? You can't just kiss somebody like that, can I? She leaned forward again, the sharp, defined lines of her face slightly asymmetrical, as if the foundation hadn't set quite right and bones had shifted then settled again, solid but askew. Her eyes angled inward to the bridge of her narrow, straight-blade nose, and they stayed open as she moved in closer. I pulled back and tried to slide out from under the table. The woman's long, strong fingers clasped around my wrist. Don't be silly, girl! I tried to pull away, but the woman's grip was too strong. Let me go! Be quiet! The woman's voice was low and even. You want to stand up now? You think it's safe up there? You think you're different from the dead boy? Bullets can't kill you. Dead boy? The woman chuckled a low ripple and her grip loosened on my wrist. Oh girl, you think they're shooting for fun? Some young and dead or dying. We just have to hope it ain't a white boy. Shoot a silly white boy and we're going to have some trouble in here. Dead? The woman leaned around me and looked along the floor and pointed. I had to shift to see where she was pointing, and the first thing I noticed was the wet reflection from the eyes of the others crouching in the dim gloom of the room, then the tilted wingtips splayed, one left and the other right, about thirty feet away. The body was only visible from the shins down because it had fallen behind the low stage just beyond the tables. Even in the dim light, I could see that the feet were motionless. I looked at Nuj. Shouldn't we help him? The woman chuckled again. Help him? Only way you're helping that young'un is praying him up. Girl, and you can do that from here. Me? I got better things to pray for. The The room had been silent since the shots had put a stop to the music. But now there was a rustling and scuffling as people edged out from under the tables and from behind the bar followed by the thin whine of sirens still many blocks away. A young man, his hair short and oiled tight to his scalp, appeared out of the murk and grabbed Nuge by the arm. Nugey, you all right? She pulled her arm away angrily. Let go of me! You don't show up till after the shooting's over! We gotta go! The cops will be here soon! What they gonna care? It was Jimmy! The woman's eyes shifted to the body. We were standing now, and the edge of his face was visible above the low riser. The sound of sirens was there, and then gone, then back for good, distant but coming. Jimmy? What was he doing here? Who done it, Bo? T-Man. Crazy ass motherfucker. He took her arm again, and this time she led him. We gotta go, Nuge. He pulled her towards the back of the bar
0: right now lots of lots of reactions in the chat room there from consent unwanted kissing that's something we need to talk about in a minute how does anybody forget the shooting happening says vagabond they're kissing while killing is going on yes they are because they they are did we dip into first person maybe we did oh my oh my annie help us make sense of this
2: uh, i don't think i can oh, okay. <laughs> um <laughs> no i think the the blurb is really good like i i like the general idea of the of the story and um going into it, i was i thought it was quite good the first line was good, and then there was a sense of atmosphere that was very well constructed. But um, as it went on, you start to feel yourself removed from it a little bit because yeah. it's very it's very hard to believe that in, while that um, shooting is going on, you've also got this kissing that's going on that has been that just as i are pointing out in the chat is a little um, dubious in yeah, terms of consent. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's a bit of a pity, too, because the writing's very good. Um, and yeah. I think it might just be starting at the wrong place, BB. Or I think, I think the writer has to consider that we don't care about these characters yet. So something that might feel very important right now might be um, better later once we actually get to know them
0: yeah yeah
2: there's something interesting about this isn't
0: there though there's something that there's definitely something there and um i don't know i think maybe some of it's a bit overworked
2: yeah i think based on the blurb alone i would probably pick it up because it it does sound like a very interesting
0: yeah yeah i would michael what can you add
2: um
1: i thought it was really strong good dialogue i thought the scene was set very well Um, I have no idea what was going on with the kissing. However, um, very often in the first few pages of a a good crime book, things happen which I do not understand. and It's only when you read on through the story that you get to understand what led to that. Um, There could have been good motivation from Nude. It did feel a little bit... As someone pointed out in the chat room, it did feel a little bit as though they'd completely forgotten that actually there was a set of bloody gunshots going off and people got killed. Yeah, <laughs> which did seem yeah. a little bit odd. But overall, I really rather liked it. it. Yeah, very good sense of place, very good sense of the characters. I thought dialogue was very interesting. So yeah, I found it quite.
0: You find it quite what? We just missed that. Quite gripping. Okay, gripping, fantastic. In that case, um, let's push you for a number.
1: Uh, Do feel it needs work, so I'd say three. We're going three.
0: Yeah, okay. Johnny's uh, going with three, but would elevate it to four with the edits. Uh, Vicky likes the title. Mm -hmm. Um, Steve's going three as well, out of curiosity. Hannah says, I think I agree with this. I think the authors tried to cram in too much into the first scene. That's probably true. Um, so, Annie, we do need a number from you.
2: Um, I would like to say four for the mm. blurb, but uh, three.
0: Okay. Yeah, uh, Galadriel's three, Steve three, Steve C three, Yana three um the title woke up the staggering 13 year old boy and me back door stop it vagabond for heaven's sake just lowering the tone dear dear. (laughs) idea uh lex says i'm gonna polish the good ideas and a little bit more compelling crowd also i usually say whatever turns you on but in this case that seems to be a fucking gunfight and i may have some notes on that says lex i'm going for three two let's see what that means if we've got all the numbers in there oh this will come in my three just come in and it's 60 60 we're all absolutely united on that for maybe slightly different reasons but yeah yeah possibly a flawed masterpiece i don't know we'll find out in a minute because we have our last submission of the day and And i think it's going to be a good one it's called boom boom's last call i'll say that again because i like it boom boom's last call and it's crime slash mystery how appropriate i'm so pleased we've got michael on all these crime submissions we didn't plan it like that it's just his synergy the universe is with us guys and this is from jesse einstein flint begins the blurb einstein flint is an ex rodeo rider born in brooklyn and raised in every other borough in the city now he's banged up burnt out and back in nyc bouncing at boom booms his girlfriend dasha Braggin was smart fearless and remorseless as desert sun but now she's dead and the cops are pretty sure flint is their guy Dasha had ripped off the wrong game and paid for it these guys never let anyone walk away flint has to find the killers before they add him to the body count i'll tell you about jesse ba in psychology been a restaurant server and played guitar in a power pop band that's theme of today isn't it really uh the second two taught me much more about aberrant human behavior than the first i can understand that well no connection there aberrant human behavior of course but we do have what promises to be a storming reading from martin the first page Boom
8: Boom's Last Call by Jesse, read by Martin. Chapter One. Her name should have been Gehenna or Golgotha. She left me scored and soured, spent and spiked and shit-talking God. She was a skullfucker, full time and full on. Now she was dead and I was their guy, bitter ex-boyfriend. There were moments I was half convinced I killed her, except I didn't. Dasher her name. I needed a glass of water and a paraset or two or three But I f- But fucked if I was gonna let them know that the door to the interview room pushed open Good cop dark hair with a little bit of silver early 40s But lean and fit movie star handsome aging like oiled wood on my best day. I should look so good Hey Flynn, can we get you something water coffee? I'm good You don't look so good. Beveled edge to the words. Maybe he and his partner had switched hats. Wish I could say the same. Can I get a Coke? What? Coke, soft drink. Sure, no problem. Anything else? Pizza, old dress, back rub? Yep, new hat. He scraped the chair along the hard pebbled floor, pulling it back to sit down, slip resistant in case they had to get into it. So, tell me again when you last saw your girlfriend. Ex. Right, ex-girlfriend. Three weeks ago, give or take. That when she dumped you? In a manner of speaking. I'm not following. We've been through this once already, but I knew the drill. She showed up at the club where I work with some older guy, sharp-dressed guy, Baroni and Testones. Older? About your age, maybe a few years younger. He grinned not mean digging the dig. He wasn't cut out for bad cop. That's when she told you to move along? I smiled, but it was tougher than I expected. She didn't need to say anything. She used her ass for a hand warmer most of the night. So you kicked his? He got drunk, made a scene at the bar and I tossed him. Broke his nose. You got the report? He swung at me twice before I laid a hand. He looked over at me. You're not the kind we usually see on the door. Five, nine, and 160. I knew what he meant. We stared across the table at each other for several seconds, and then he raised his eyebrows. So? That a question? He couldn't help smiling again. He pointed to a spot over my left eyebrow. How'd you get that? Tossing the wrong guy? Nah. Rough ride. Come again? Roll rough stock for a living. God st- hung up. I ran my thumb over my scar. Couldn't help it. Poof, a hard pack. We never did figure it out. What the fuck are you talking about? Rough stuff. Bronx, bulls, you know, rodeo. You're kidding me. Thought you were from Brooklyn. Long story. He leaned back in his chair, staring at me, balancing so that only the back two legs were touching the floor. Well, I'll be damned. A real concrete bright lights downtown cowboy. You any good? I shrugged. It was a living. I had been top 10 for three years and when the whole thing, the year before I got run over, made more than a million dollars and couldn't hang on to any of it, it still hurt in more ways than one. He let the chair tip forward onto the floor and got back on track. Was that the last time you had any contact with Dasha? Fuck. Dasha. Hearing her name was like a fist in the belly. I felt something give. The cop knew it wasn't the last time. They had the police report. Last time I saw her, not what I asked. I waved the melina Melina folder in front of him. You got it there. I want to hear it from you. I looked down at my hands, then back up. He was watching me, not smiling, not even a bit. Narrow, focused, hungry, trying to get past skin and skull, spoon into the soft stuff. Fuck you. I went by her apartment. I was, when was this? I looked
0: at the folder before answering thank you very much martin all our readings now have been brilliant um martin says I, th- I think it's fair to say the chat room is pretty divided on this actually and that's very interesting when we're a bit polarized martin says i thought this is very fluid engaging and filmic and then earlier scrolled off now have been so many comments uh has said writing is trying too hard and we've got and see Steve there, see Steve C, just a in her story. Steve, why? Like this opening, Urgency Emotional Stakes does so pretty economically. So it's it's kind of it's a story of two halves, really. I'm not sure what you think, Annie.
2: I really like it. Okay. I'm um yeah there's just a couple of things that I feel weren't working but overall the I found the writing actually more interesting than the blurb because based on the blurb I guess the cowboy thing was quite like that kind of caught me off guard the rodeo side of things but the rest of it wasn't really my cup of tea but the writing itself I I really like it I I think it's it's got a very good voice Um, and the, the dialogue I was thinking the 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 like interview is a really good way to give backstory without it feeling forced. Isn't it? So Yeah. 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 So I thought that was really good. Oh okay. um, there was only yeah, there was only one thing that I thought it kind of went too far with the backstory, which was when, when the detective or whoever said to him about the, um, his cowboy past and then he went on after that to think about um, I was in the top ten or something like that and yeah. that kind of pulled me out slightly. I think he could have cut before that. Yeah. But other than that, um, I really liked it, especially at the ending, because it does kind of make you think, oh, maybe he was involved.
0: So mm. I, I really like her. I'm narrator, maybe. Good. All right. Mm-hmm. Annie, give us a number.
2: Uh, I'll see a four. Yay!
0: Nice. You should be feeling pleased with yourself, Jesse. At least you ought to be until maybe we speak to Michael. Mm,
1: I wasn't so happy with it. Um, I've got a vague suspicion that it's the wrong start point. big. Be- or, he's just not particularly adept at writing police interrogations. I was thinking, looking at myself there, I mean, mm. thinking Ed McBain would have written that much more tautly. Yeah. You'd have got a lot more out of it in half as many pages. Um, yeah. And wow. it didn't grab me. I love the idea from the blurb. Hmm. Um, I think the first page did work quite well, but from then on it seemed to be drifting away from me, um, yeah. so I'm afraid I'd only go with a three.
0: A three, yes. yeah, fair enough. Okay, so we're kind of split between threes and fours here. Uh, writing seems a little old-fashioned, says Yana. Wow. Hmm. We're kind of old fashioned guys tonight and girls. It's uneven, but I think some editing could really work well, says Galadriel. Uh, hmm. Dasha sounds like an interesting character, says Steve, which is important. I'm going to go with the consensus on this and say 3 2. Um, it is trying a bit hard. Um, yeah. It's a bit, bit conventional, but nothing wrong with that, really. Um, let's see how the, uh, the numbers look now. We've got the. Final point in the show. 275s. Oh! 275s. A 65 that you just snuck in there, Jesse, when we weren't looking. A 16 and a 40. Not bad. Not bad. But it's not over yet.
2: Make your
5: pop-up submission. Subs.latopia.com. Don't forget to vote on today's show.
0: Yeah, you've got six and a half days to do that, please.
7: Make
5: your pop-up submission (sighs) subs.latopia.com.
0: Just have to wait for the submission lady to us. She's so enthusiastic, isn't she? Now then, Annie, uh, may I just say, I think you've been a fabulous guest had a few technical issues oh, to begin with, but we, we sorted those out, and you've gone down a storm in the chat room. Everyone loves you, and we want, we want you to come back, will you?
2: I'll be here next week if you want me.
0: Oh, that's great. That's great. That's fantastic. You have one final duty, or not, actually. You've got to decide whether you want to change any of the votes you've given tonight.
2: Uh, I think I'm going to stick with what I've said
0: fair enough that's good thank you and the same applies to you michael it's been too long it's so nice to have you back again and your your wit and particularly your wisdom to other writers always very generous giving your advice um any numbers you want to change no i'm happy with them i think that's great Mm. that's fantastic don't forget to to vote on
3: today's show
0: like six and a half days please thetopia.com slash vote that's where to go I hope you've enjoyed it at least as much as I have. And if you have, see you next week.